The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and 1077 FM HD 2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Stratford University presents a special edition of Tech Talk Radio, Remembering Jim Russ. I'm Andrew Mitchell, sitting in for the host of Tech Talk Radio, Dr. Richard Schertz. I'd like to start the show today by telling you about four little words. See you in September. Those were the last words Jim ever said to me on Saturday, August 14th, as he walked out the station doors. See you in September, just like the song. Now, when Jim said something like that, you could count on it. When he said he'd be somewhere or do something, you could bet on it. For 14 years of Saturdays, I knew that if we were having a live tech talk that day, Jim was going to come through that door on time and ready to do some radio. This time, Jim will not keep his word. I know I won't see him next week. Four days after that last see you, and one day before his 58th birthday, in the early hours of August 18th, Jim left this world in the very hospital in which he came into this world, at the St. Joseph Medical Center in Towson. So that's one thing to know about Jim Russ. He was a Baltimore kid through and through, born and raised, never lived any farther from his hometown than the suburbs of Washington, D.C. The other thing to know about Jim is that he was a radio guy, never wanted to do anything else, dreamt about it as a kid, got his first job at a small town station in Maryland when he was in his teens. Jim spent most of his career as a traffic reporter. Heard for many years on WTOP and its various sister stations, and for the last decade, on a station where he once worked as a college intern, Baltimore's WBAL. Jim clearly had a passion for this particular mission in radio, to tell as many people as would tune in where the bad traffic was that day and how to get around it. But his passion for radio went beyond his weekday job. For the last 14 years, Jim found his creative outlet in Tech Talk Radio. When he took on co-hosting duties in 2007, he didn't just re-record the intro in his own voice. He used the capabilities of our station's editing program to turn himself into the voice of a computer. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. So, just one of the many voices of Jim. In case you never figured it out, Jim was Mr. Big Voice. Except for this cut right here. There's a letter in your mailbox! That was George Carlin, from a stand-up bit that I'm better off not explaining to you right now, if I want to keep my job. But everything else Mr. Big Voice said, it was Jim Russ, digitally enhanced. Profiles in IT! But did you really know this was Jim as well? Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yeah, and as the years went on, Mr. Big Voice seemed to have more and more to say. 
Remember how some people said back in 2016 that if Donald Trump won the election, they'd move to Canada? Did anyone really do that? Well, Mr. Big Voice made sure we never forgot about those expats north of the border. If you're stuck in Canada and using Snapchat, dial us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. If you've lost your phone in a snowdrift in Canada, if you're contemplating lunar exploration in Canada, if you're messing around with your TV antenna on an icy roof in Canada, if you're living in a log cabin without heat or water in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. If you're making innovative audio oscillators in your garage in Canada. If you're dreaming of Christmas in Hawaii, but you're in Canada. If you're fusing silica in Canada. If you're looking for a copuland in Canada. Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. So yes, there was always a reference to the wildcard line. This was pretty much the standard routine. If you're calling from east of the island of Barbados, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from west of Montreal, Canada, it's 877-936-9333. Anyone else calling from anywhere else, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Dial now. Okay, not only was that a reference to the late-night nationally broadcast radio show of that explorer of the unexplained Art Bell, but it was a tribute to another talk radio great, Phil Hendry, who loved to skewer the hokiness of Art Bell. Such was Jim's love of radio and his enthusiasm for having a little fun with us every Saturday morning at 9. We'll miss you, Jim. We can't replace you. We won't forget you. And we thank you, Jim Russ. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity security career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. You're listening to a special edition of Tech Talk Radio honoring the memory of our colleague Jim Russ, the longtime co-host of this show who passed away on August 18th. I'm Andrew Mitchell. Doc Schertz is away today on assignment, as they say in the world of sports broadcasting. And let me tell you, as a fan of both baseball and baseball broadcasting, Jim would love that I made this reference just now. I worked with Jim pretty closely for nearly a decade and a half, so I'm pretty sure I know what he loved and didn't love, especially when it came to this show. Like this bit from 13 years ago. 
Now, let's talk about predictions that proved false. We've talked about, you know, phrases that you never expected to be saying. Right. Because technology is moving so fast. But there are also predictions that never came true. And it's kind of fun to look back into the past to see what some of the predictions were. For instance, Ken Olson, who was the president, chairman, and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC, and makers of big business mainframe computers, back in 1977 said, there's no reason that anyone would ever want a computer in their home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Ken, that's really right on the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, back, uh, you know, back uh, before, uh, back in the uh, early 90s or late 80s, Bill Gates said, we will never make a 32-bit operating system. Uh, okay. And of course, Windows 95 was the first 32-bit operating is. system that they came out with. They eventually did. Okay, now this one, T. Craven, who was the FCC commissioner in 1961, he made this prediction regarding uh, satellite communication. There's practically no chance that communication space satellites will be used to provide better telephone, telegraph, television, or radio service inside the United States. No! Now there's an FCC chairman that's really on top of it. Yep, mm-hmm. Four years later, the first commercial communication satellite was launched. Now, how about this? In a memo at Western Union in 1878, this was the prediction. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently no value to us. Okay, obviously Western Union made a bad prediction there. Yep. How about this IBM prediction? The world market potential for copying machines... Is 5,000 at most. <laughs> we have 5,000 in this building. That's uh, that's when IBM was telling Xerox that they were just out to lunch. It was a bad business model. There'd be no demand for their machines. Mm. How about the 1980s campaign by the uh, by BPI, which was the which was the arm which is trying to enforce uh, enforce royalties for the music industry? They're saying home taping is killing the music business. Do you remember that? Yes. Home taping is killing. Okay, Mary Somerville, pioneer in radio. Educational broadcast. She said, television won't last. It's a flash in the pan. Of course it Back is. in 1948. Well, Mary. That's why we're on the radio. Mary, it didn't really work out very well. <laughs> okay, now David Sarnoff, uh, you know, made a prediction in 1921. He said, the wireless music box, which I guess is really the radio. Probably so. The wireless so. Mu- music box has no imaginable commercial value. Dave, would you pass me the wireless music box, please? Who would pay for a message sent to no one in particular. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, now this is my favorite prediction that never came true. This was made by <laughs> Alex Lute, Lloyd, president of the vacuum cleaner company, Lloyd Corporation. He made this prediction in 1955. Nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality in 10 years. You know, that's technology <laughs> we just don't need in everybody's hands. That's right. Yeah. You know, everybody that owned a nuclear-powered vacuum cleaner, well, they all died. Uh, who needs they, they're, all, they're, all dead, they're all dead now. Who needs if, a nuclear-powered vacuum cleaner? If you're We've making hover cars that take us from place to place nowadays. Yeah. If you're making that big a mess, there's something really wrong with you, that yeah. you need a nuclear-powered vacuum cleaner. Now, Lord Kelvin, who was a well-known uh, scientist in Britain, he was a British mathematician and physicist and president of the British Royal Society in 18... 95 said, heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible. 
<laughs> Isn't there a, a unit of measurement or something named after Yeah, that? the Kelvin. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's That's exactly the Kelvin. Yeah. And now, this was a prediction made by Michigan Savings Bank when they were advising Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in the Ford Motor Company. They said, horses are here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. So, Henry Ford's lawyer did not invest in Ford Motor Company, and he protected himself. He probably bought a horse with that investment. Of course, that's right. Interesting interesting topic so there. So all of these things indicate, you know, that technology is hard to predict. It's hard to predict where it's going. And, you know, from the phrases that we talked about earlier, technology is moving fairly quickly. And so people, because of the constant move of technology, the stress of always having to figure out the latest DVD player, the latest VCR... Now, the analogy that I like to give is uh, the analogy of driving down the road in a car. If you look out the windshield and you look at the horizon, you look at where the road uh, is at a distance, and you can see the road shifting and turning, and things are relatively predictable. You can see where the road is going to shift. You can respond to it very easily, and it's uh, quite easy to deal with. On the other hand, if you are sitting in a car and looking out the side window, Bushes are flying by you so fast, you can't possibly keep up with everything that's going on. So if you look out the side window of a car and you look at the uh, technology that's, fly that's flying by or the, the articles flying by, it seems like the world is moving so fast, you can't possibly keep up. And so the key in technology is to always have the long view. Look at the standards. Look at the trends. Look at where things are going because things are really relatively predictable. Like, for instance, Microsoft came out with their 32-bit operating system a full 10 years after the chip that supported 32 bits was produced by Intel. So that really wasn't hard to predict. Or the, the, the protocol on the Internet was developed in the summer of 1973, and we still have it. So things aren't moving that mm -hmm, fast. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of the technology that Microsoft deploys is deployed by Microsoft about 10 years after it leaves the lab. So if you look at the long view and you look at what's in the lab, you look at the trends, the standard groups, you can easily keep up with technology. Wisdom there from Doc Schertz, uttered in 2008, still holding true today. Now, Doc has been known to make some predictions of his own. Sometimes it has been about something that should not happen. Considering what he had to say in the next segment... And he said this more than 10 years ago. It's a good thing that, as far as we know, this idea never became a reality. Let's talk about the bad idea of the week. This could be the bad idea of the year. <laughs> yeah. Now, a guy has developed technology to guide the car with your eyes, not your hands. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Scientist David Latotsky of Berlin's Free University can turn the steering wheel of his car with just eye movements. He developed software called iDriver. Uh-huh. Now, he's steering their car. Now, he named the car the Spirit of Berlin, and he can he's driving it around Berlin just by looking in different directions. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, now Raul Roja, an artificial intelligence researcher at Berlin's Free University, said that the technology tracks the driver's eye movement and in turn steers the car in whatever direction the driver's looking. Now, they've actually presented this technology-packed prototype under... Uh, under uh, they've actually tested it out in this huge uh, airport parking lot uh -huh. <laughs> near the German capital. Now the Dodge Caravan crisscrossed the tarmac with abandon as the driver was looking in all different directions. I driver lets you drive the car up to 31 miles an hour, 
They're going to perfect it so you can drive up to 60 miles an hour. Oh, boy. <laughs> However, it remains unclear whether this will be commercialized. Like, what happens if the driver looks at a cute girl on the side of the road? I was going to say, here's the scenario. <laughs> Dr. Schertz is driving his Rolls equipped with this technology down the street. Lonnie Anderson comes out of a shop and is walking down the there street. There we go. And he's off into a tree. No, but you see, here's the thing. We're all taught to drive by checking your mirrors. Yeah. So the whole time you're driving, you're not looking straight ahead. You're looking mirror, mirror, no, mirror. No, this is the then... other thing. When you look in the rearview mirror, the car drives backwards. Oh, it does? Oh, <laughs> Oh, this is really so, so stupid. They could, they, so they could test. So he was tested driving backwards by looking in the rearview mirror. I think they've got to get a few, they, like, few bugs they got out a of few this. Bugs, yeah. So this is the bad idea of the week. More of the late Jim Russ's favorite segments from his 14 years as co-host coming up as Tech Talk Radio continues. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity security career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. This is a special edition of Tech Talk Radio, Remembering Jim Russ. I'm Andrew Mitchell, in for Dr. Richard Schertz. Jim was not only a great radio man, he was also a good friend. Like, he was pretty good about remembering birthdays. Not just of people, mind you, but certain things, too. Here's a topic to which we returned more than once after this first mention of it in 2007. The birthday of the CD. Okay. Now... Do we want to play the song? Yes. That this is the first song recorded. Oh on yeah. Well, let's well let's go through this thing. Okay. On, uh, on right. Friday, uh, August seventeenth. That was yesterday. Actually, was the CD's twenty fifth birthday. The CD was first manufactured in the Philips factory in Hanover, Germany, August seventeenth, nineteen eighty two. That was manufactured for sale. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was a song by. ABBA, and the song was The Visitors. <laughs> this is really awful, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> no wonder I've never heard of The Visitors. You know, it's, a, it's lucky the CD ever got off the ground with that song. I was going to say, that's <laughs> that's something. You know, if you like if you like ABBA and you don't like that, maybe you'll like this. Yeah, that's more like it. That's the ABBA that I know and love. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, I don't know, everybody's favorite. Oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. 
I don't think CD sales really took off until the other ABBA songs were actually put on there. I think Probably. that first one, ABBA was just practicing. Did you know that Dancing Queen is in heavy rotation in Jim's car? He yeah. always listens to it. When you know, I, yeah. I hate, you know, you pull up next to a garbage truck, windows yeah. down, and you're singing this, and they're yeah. looking at you like, mm, oh, oh, boy. Now, by the time the CD was introduced to the market in 1982, a catalog of around 150 titles, mainly classical music, had been produced. So apparently they weren't hanging their hat on the visitors by yeah. ABBA. Beethoven's fifth or ninth, whatever it takes. That's right. Yes. The first CDs and CD players, including the Philips CD100, were introduced in Japan in November of 19 in November of that year followed in the US and European markets in March of 1983 over 200 billion CDs have been sold in the last 25 years now here is some information that is really information for life guys <laughs> if every CD that were ever produced were put in a stack that stack of CDs would circle the earth six Times. That's amazing. Now, that's the piece of information that you want to take to that cocktail party tonight. That's, uh, that's right. water cooler stuff. That's exactly that's right. That's really amazing when you think about it. Every so often you see a, you know somebody loses a CD out of the car. You see them laying in the street every, every so right. often. Stack all those CDs up. Yeah, so. I was thinking the other day, really, the CD, for music purposes, is kind of outmoded. It's it's kind of the thing of the past. I mean, every everybody except me has an iPod. Everything is going with sort of digital digital storage of right. MP3 songs, and uh, CDs are becoming irrelevant, really. They really are. But the problem is, and we've <laughs> talked about this before, is that CD quality audio still sounds better than stuff songs that you download yeah. off the Internet. It Absolutely. still sounds better, and you can well, hear it. Well, yeah, see the dirty... Yeah. But nothing sounds better than this. Yes. Oh, no, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you so, know, you know, you know, see what you don't realize is that Jim's got his car here in the studio. The car is actually in the studio. And we're just playing we're, it off the car we're, radio. We're playing it off the car radio because you know we had to augment the audio features of the studio a little bit this morning. I listened to this seven times on the way to work this morning. <laughs> now I've got to tell you, uh, the yeah, reason that uh, that the MP3s are not a CD quality is that most of the MP3s are sampled at 128 kilobits per second. Mm -hmm. That's the sampling rate, and to get near CD quality, you need at least 256 kilobits per second, and 128 just won't do it. And even at 256, people can hear a difference. Some people can hear a difference uh, because MP3 is not a lossless compression. There is some loss, and there's a judgment on how it's done. But 256 is pretty good for CD quality. Uh, but most of the uh, most of the songs out there are 128, and you can't hear a difference. Oh, you know the the, the A track we've talked about that mm -hmm. went the way. I mean, no, nobody's got an A track anymore. CDs, even though they are not the most up to date technology, they're still prevalent. People still buy them. Yeah, people pe still burn them. Exactly. People burn CDs even if they don't buy them. So mm -hmm. people still use CDs. A tracks had a really short shelf life, maybe like four years or right. something. How, CD, CDs are probably going to over time be replaced by DVDs because of the higher capacity yeah, on right. DVDs. So I, I, I can see DVDs, you know, over th that format replacing. Uh, Replacing, see, a CD only has a capacity of 720 megabytes, and a, mm -hmm. and a you know a DVD has got enough uh, got gigabytes of storage, so you can store whole, put a whole movie on it. But yeah. really, do you think that there will be a time, or how long do you think it'll take for the CD to be replaced by the DVD altogether? Uh, when everybody, when the DVD, well, once we get the dev, the uh, controversy between Blu-ray and HD DVD, you know, settled, oh, right, so, yeah. so there's just one player. Mm -hmm. I think when we when we're down to a one-player DVD system, there's a good chance that there'll be, a, you know, things will swap out in that direction. Uh, but it'll be a few years, I would suspect. So um, the CD is going to be here for a good long while. That's good because I got a big pile of them in the car, and uh, you know yeah, I got a big collection too. I don't want to, you know. I've, well, I've got a collection of vinyl records. 
at home. I do, too. I have nothing to play them on. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, you know, you can take and uh, you, you should convert those to... To, to CD. To, or, yeah, to, or to MP3. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you can convert them exactly. to MP3, but it's a, it's a project. Yeah, it is. Got to have a turntable to do it that. It is a project. That's right. So you hear Doc going out on a limb there in 2007, and he was definitely right about the MP3. I mean, how many of us still have our CDs, even our vinyl records, right there in the home, and yet when we want to hear our favorite song, we just reach for our favorite music streaming service, or we just ask Alexa. Now here are some more segments that Jim thought were worth a second or even fourth or fifth hearing. This is a montage Jim put together for broadcast just a year ago, and it started with a birthday shout-out from 2010. And let's talk about the old zip drive. The zips are, are uh, celebrating their 25th anniversary. So let's go back to the year 1995. I wish I had way back machine music. Back then we had slow floppy disks. So they would only hold 1.44 megabytes of data. And it was just a pain in the neck to try to transfer files. Back in the day, not many people were on the Internet. We didn't have many local area networks and... People just had all kinds of issues on how to copy files and move files around. And then this exciting new technology came around, Ooh. the zip drive. And it held 100 megabytes of data, 100 megabytes of data. And it was about the size of a 3.5, of a 2.5 uh, inch floppy disk, but it was a little thicker. And when compared to the standard floppy, the zip drive felt like heaven, I'm telling you. It allowed people to back up their hard drives. Because back in the day, hard drives were actually less than 100 megabytes, many of them. And you could transfer large files with ease. When it launched, you could get a, um, an external zip drive for $199. In today's dollars, that would be $337 for that external hmm. drive. Pretty expensive. Yeah, it is. Now, the disk sold for $19.95, the 100-megabyte disk. So in today's dollars, that'd be $34 for the, the disk. So that's expensive. A that's, it's, it's expensive, but back it's better then, than the Back other. then, it was a bargain. Yeah. Now, zip drives were, re were originally available in two versions. One supported Windows or DOS-based PCs and with a parallel port interface. And the other one supported the high-speed SCSI interface that was on the Apple Mac. So you see the original zip drives plugged into the printer port. Because back in the day, we really didn't have USBs. So it plugged into the printer port. Think about that. How long has it been that we've had printer ports on computers? Yeah, really. And you know, back then, of course, Macs were more advanced, and they had an external SCSI connector for running external hard drives. Zip proved hugely successful. Now, their drive measured about 7 inches deep, 5 inches wide, and 1 and 1⁄2 inches thick, and, it, and the drive weighed just under a pound. They, they had an internal zip drive that would fit inside of the computer. I had them all. I had external zip drives. I had internal zip drives. Well, I just loved the zips. You had to. Yeah, I had Vienna, them. There's, there's, you have to do show prep and I really like loved those zips. I still have uh, some of my original Tech Talk radio shows stored on zip drives back in the day. So we um, uh, they and so these things were really uh, nice. They 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 were about the size of a three point five inch floppy disk, but they spun a lot faster. They had a they they had an RPM rate of twenty nine hundred RP revolutions per minute. It spun a lot faster than a floppy disk, so that gave them read write speed much faster. Over its lifetime, Zip had three disk sizes: one hundred megabyte, two hundred fifty megabyte, and seven fifty. I never owned a 750 megabyte one, but I had, I had a lot of 250 megabyte zip drives, and then, zip began to die. 
first we had the inexpensive uh, read-write CDs, CDR technology, where you could where you could you could basically store about you know 700 megabytes on a on a, on, a, on a writable CD, and those CDs were like dirt cheap, and that gradually began to eat away at Zip's market share for removable removable backup. So instead of backing up to the zip drive, you back up to the to to a rewrite CD and it's a lot cheaper. Then businesses started installing local area networks, which meant that you could transfer files over the network easily. You didn't need a zip. And then what put the final death knell in the zip drive were the removable flash USB flash drives. Once you had these USB flash drives, who needs a zip Right. So Zip basically became irrelevant when new technology surpassed it. But today is Zip's happy birthday. Happy 25th birthday, Mr. Zip Drive. Did you buy it an, an ice cream cake? Uh, no, didn't no. buy an ice cream okay. cake. But I'll, I'll sing happy birthday later in the, yes, later the, in the air, day. Please. Later in the day, yeah. Off in the day. This is Tech Talk Radio. Well, I want to just wish 40th happy birthday to Pac-Man. It's really... Really a, a, a momentous time now. Mm-hmm. The classic and popular Pac-Man video game came out in Japan on May 21st, 1980. That's 40 years ago plus two days. By October, it was released to the United States. I didn't realize it was actually a Japanese game, Jim. Pac-Man doesn't sound Japanese name. Well, but did you ever play Pac-Man? I played Pac-Man, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. Moving along, I'll, I yeah. will not disagree with you on that. So the Pac-Man character is a little pie-shaped character with a mouse, a little yellow pie-shaped yeah. character with a mouse, and it travels around a maze eating dots, mm-hmm. and it tries to avoid four ghosts that are trying to hunt him down. So if a, if a ghost runs into the Pac-Man, he's, he's, he's gone. And so you, you've got to avoid the ghost, and you try to eat as many dots as you can before a ghost gets you. Now, to this day, Pac-Man remains one of the most popular video games in history. Its innovative design has been the focus of many and numerous books. Now, the game was actually created by Namco in Japan, and it was released in the U.S. by Midway. By 1981, there were approximately 250 million games of Pac-Man being played in the U.S. each week, on 100,000 Pac-Man machines mm. that were in video arcades. I mean, this this was the day before people had their own computer, you know. So yeah. they had to deploy these Pac-Man machines. And, and, I, and there were 100,000 Pac-Man machines. I, I never played Pac-Man on one of the machines. I always played a Pac-Man on, you know, on an application on my PC. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 1981, they had the Pac-Man machines out. Since then, Pac-Man has been released... On nearly every video game platform, on May 21st of 2010, Google Doodle, Google Doodle, Google Doodle, <laughs> even featured a playable version to mark the 30th anniversary of Pac-Man's release. Now, according to the Japanese game designer Toru Iwatani, Pac-Man was conceived as an antidote to the overwhelming number of games with violent themes, such as Asteroids. Space Invaders, Tail Gunner, and Galaxion. These are all things, zero shoot 'em up things. And he didn't like that. So he created this game as something that would be much more benevolent. So there you go. Happy birthday to Pac Man. Observations from the bunker.
Wow, you really are locked down, aren't you? I am locked in this bunker, I'm telling you. And it's, you know, it forces you to think when you get this isolation off by yourself. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not the only one thinking about what's meaningful in life. Jeff Bezos, the, cre- the, uh, the founder of Amazon, has had similar thoughts. And, you know, he's patiently built a company there at Amazon, creating a real flywheel, as they say. He's, um, he, you know, he's turned internal initiatives like, like web services into a $17 billion operation with Amazon Web Services. He knows how to hire the right people. He knows how to make great business decisions. But he said, you know, cleverness only gets you so far. He said he is clever, but he says you got to do a lot more than being clever if you want to be successful. And he said the key is when you're 80 years old and you look back on your life, will you have any regrets? And you need to operate your life as a way to make certain that you'll have no limited regrets, no regrets going on. So he started thinking about, well, what, what was important to him and why, how did he organize his life as he was sort of valuing what he had done and what he will do going forward. So number one, he says, let will inertia be your guide or will you follow your passions? You know, sometimes people get stuck in a particular job and they just, well, they just stay there even though they hate it and they never really follow their passion. And at 80 years old, they're going to regret that. So he says, don't, don't let inertia slow you down. Go after your passions and you'll be happier in the long run. Will you follow dogma? In other words, will you do what everybody does or will you be an original? So you don't have to go down the beaten path. Take your own path. It's really important to not get lulled into doing what everybody else does. Try to be an original. Will you choose a life with ease or will you choose a life with service and adventure? So push yourself. Don't take the easy way. You're going to do stuff that's uncomfortable, but in the long run, you'll be happier. Will you wilt under criticism or will you follow your own convictions? Uh, And he says, you know, he believes that no matter how much the criticism that you receive is, if you're following your passion and if you've chosen a route that makes sense, just go for it. Ignore the critics. It's easier said than done, but he says, you've got to do that. Will you bluff your way out of a situation where you're absolutely wrong or will you apologize? And he says, look, if you make a mistake, admit it, apologize and move on. Will you guard your heart against rejection or will you follow it when you fall in love? So, you know, follow your passion there, too, as well as in work. Will you play it safe or will you be just a little bit swashbuckling, as he says? (laughs) Pirate reference. (laughs) I like that swashbuckling. Yeah. Uh When it's tough, will you give up or will you be relentless to the end? Will you have that determination, that stick to to get it done? Will you be a cynic? Saying everything that's wrong with the world. Or will you be a builder trying to fix what's wrong and make it right? Will you be clever at the expense of others or will you be kind? Now, this is a great list. He, you know, he obviously thought this through in his bunker during this lockdown period. <laughs> I bet his bunker is a little nicer than yours. I think so. He probably has. I'd, I'd say his I'd say his doors don't squeak like don't ours squeak. Do. And he may actually have room service. <laughs> That's right. Now, but this is a hard list. I mean, for instance, just ignoring criticism and following your conviction. I mean, that's easier said than done, but he said that's essentially. If you really want to start a business, and you can do that in a few hours, 
Some people might say you're crazy, especially now. But if you want to do it, just do it. Mm -hmm. If you want to go back to school, some people might think you're crazy, especially now. But if you really want to do it, just do it. If you really want to open a restaurant, some people will definitely think you're crazy now. But if you want to do it, just do it. Whatever you want to do, go for it. You don't let the naysayer stop you from doing what you'd want to really do with your life. Because at 80, when you look back, you'll wonder what could have been. Mm -hmm. Now, research shows that it, the, the most likely regret that people have is that they didn't reach their full potential because they ne never really ran for the goalposts. They just played it safe. They just played it safe and didn't get out there for the big pass. You'll never regret trying something that didn't work out, but you'll always regret never trying something that could have worked out. Oh, well, you know, you learn from your mistakes if you're lucky, that's right? That's right. That, that's exactly right. But the one mistake you can't fix in a lifetime is if you've never done something, you cannot get back the time. That's correct. That's a mistake you just can't fix. That's correct. So I'm telling you, so ask yourself the Bezos questions when you're holed up in your bunker. And you might avoid the one big mistake that you cannot fix, which would be not reaching your full potential. Yep. And you can do that starting today. More of the late Jim Russ's favorite segments from his 14 years as co-host coming up as Tech Talk Radio continues. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity Security career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. This is a special edition of Tech Talk Radio. Remembering Jim Russ. I'm Andrew Mitchell, in for Dr. Richard Schertz. We've been mining the archives these last few days and finding that a lot of Jim's favorite topics already came up in that first year of his co-hosting Tech Talk. For example, one of Doc Schertz's life lessons and a topic he has addressed many times over the years. This is what he had to say when he first brought it up with Jim in 2007. You know, the problem about getting a job, we, you know, I, I, this is what all of our students are confronted with. They, they say, how can I get a job without experience? It's, it's a real issue. And then, but then how can I get experience without, without a job? A job right. I mean, that's the problem. It's the age-old question. What comes first, the job or the experience? And we help all of our students walk through this thing. It's the classic chicken and the egg problem. What mm -hmm. came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, what we decided to do was actually to interview a chicken to find out if, uh, if, if, if we can do that. How did he get his job? Yeah. Okay. Would you like, yeah. Now, we'd, we'd like to interview this chicken now. What, which came first here, the, the chicken or the egg? 
No, in, in our pre-production meeting, we were supposed to have the talking chickens. Uh, what, well, what, I mean, what, uh... We had Willie, Willie. This, uh, no, no, it's not about the rooster. It's not which came first, the rooster or the hen. It's what came first, the chicken or the egg. It's not about the rooster. Willie's already fallen down. Okay, on the job. Willie. These are supposed. Listen, we spent three hours in this pre-production meeting yesterday, and it was supposed to be the talking chickens. Okay, open up the door and get these chickens out of here. I'll tell you. Okay, Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Willie is just going to be a problem, isn't he? Willie, Willie is a problem. Yeah, these are supposed to be the talking. Okay, I'm kicking him out now. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, thank you very much. Oh, well, that <laughs> goodbye, Willie. Well, the the thing about getting a job, everybody says I need to get a job. Uh, I need to get experience before I can get a job. And you know what people forget about the experience that you have to get does not have to be paid experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be like somebody who wanted to drive a a bus and they decide that they they go and they apply to to, to, to drive a bus and they say well how are you going to learn to drive I say, well i'm going to get behind your bus and i'm going to learn to drive in the bu driving the bus you have to know how to drive before you can drive a bus so you, you sort of teach yourself or you, you you drive a car so what you do is you actually have to learn something in an unpaid way and so the, the way to do that is uh, there's really kind of a five-step way that, that we that we recommend doing it with all of our students, and this has worked for years. Number one, you want to have a good idea of where the field is going, what's what's hot now, what what's really, and so you know what's worth learning. And you do that by reading what I call the industry rags. These are all free magazines. You sign up for them. You can get like six or eight or ten of them come into your house each week, and you see what's what's the latest thing, the latest what the latest what the vendors are putting out, the latest product, and you know what's then you know what is worth learning, what are the coming current trends. Second, you want to have a good idea of what of uh, of you want to get some develop some good competencies that are going to be de demanded by industry either by you know it can be Linux you know, install Linux operating systems install Windows operating systems and I've got uh, a number of ways you can do that at home just in your in your own spare time or you can or you can go to a school like Stratford University and you can learn networking you can develop core competencies. The third thing you want to really understand the standards and the procedures in the industry and I've got a few examples of that like uh, the internet standards are all standard by IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force, or the the um, the uh, the wireless standards are all standardized by the 802. Committee at IEEE, and I've got a whole series of links. If you understand those standards, you can be very very conversant. Uh, you should really get a very well written resume that emphasizes where you're going rather than what you've been. You don't you don't want to have resume lock. I mean, if you sit here and been doing task A, you're in the past, you write a resume defining task A, you're locked into task A. If you want to do task B, you write something about what you are going to be doing. Focus on what it is Focus you're trying what to you do. Want to be doing. And then you want to join user groups and trade associations. You don't want to make the mistake but of asking for a job at these meetings. There are a lot of user groups, like there's Linux user group, Oracle user groups, uh, uh, a wide number of users. You can go there and you can work on projects. And, you know, going back to resumes, mm -hmm. one of my pet peeves, and having looked at more than a few over my career, <clears throat> run it through spell check. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh. Maybe substitute the word websites for the word magazines, and you still have good advice for finding a job in the 2020s. More of the late Jim Russ's favorite segments from his 14 years as co-host coming up as Tech Talk Radio continues. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. This is a special edition of Tech Talk Radio. I'm Andrew Mitchell. We're remembering our colleague Jim Russ today. He passed away on August 18th. Now, some of his favorite Tech Talk moments involve Doc Shirts discussing the science of food. Important things like keeping the lumps out of your gravy. We go back to 2010 for this one. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge talking technology. Yes. You know, because of the uh, all the culinary programs at Stratford University that we have in uh, culinary arts, uh, baking and pastry. There's a lot of food science in culinary arts. Of course and there so is. I'm always interested in the food science. And one of my favorite books is the On Food and Cooking, The Art of... The Science and Lore of the Kitchen by Harold McGee. That's really my favorite book. I love this book. Guy was a kind of a um, scientist, and then he got into cooking, and he gave uh, gave really a nice scientific description of all the things that are going on in the kitchen, and plus the the history and uh, the food from around the world. It's a wonderful book uh, on food and cooking by. Harold McGee, The Science and Lore of the Kitchen. And he has a section in here talking about gravy, which it basically is a starch-thickened sauce. Uh-huh. Starch-thickened sauce. And, and of course, people always have trouble. Sometimes if you do it wrong, you get lumps in your gravy. And yes. there's nothing worse than lumpy gravy to ruin a good uh, Christmas meal or a good Thanksgiving meal. Now... Let's explain about where the starch is. If you take any kind of kernel like a wheat, or wheat, of course, is ground up to make flour, uh, in the middle of the wheat uh, kernel, you've got the wheat germ, which is the protein from which the, the new plant grows. Surrounding the protein is the food for the new plant, which is basically all starch. And it's the starch that provides the thickening. Or you could take, uh, if you take and grind up corn, you've got the corn germ in the middle, and then you've got the starch around it. Now, uh, you can, when you thicken with the either uh, wheat starch or corn starch, if you actually remove the protein and you just have the starch, if you t- take the protein out of ground-up corn, cornmeal, you get up, end up with corn starch. It turns out the starch, when you take starch and put it in water and heat it up, at a certain temperature, it expands and forms a gelatin. Wheat starch thickens and forms a gelatin between 140 and 148 degrees Fahrenheit. And corn starch is just a little bit hotter than that, between 140 and 158 degrees. It, it all of a sudden thickens up. So if you just take and throw some starch, corn starch or wheat starch into the, um, into the water, nothing happens until it reaches that magic temperature and it turns into a gelatin. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've got, if you take the hot liquid, and throw in uh, the flour into the hot liquid, you form the gelatin on the outside of this blotch of uh, flour, and you get a lump. 
because you see you've got the gelatin surrounding it. And so if you put the, the flour or the cornstarch into the hot liquid, you'll get lumpy, lumpy gravy. gravy. So you basically want to add your flour or your cornstarch in while the liquid is cooler. Now, there's kind of a formula when you're making a thickened starch. You One cup of liquid, a broth from the meat, uh, plus one tablespoon of flour, plus one tablespoon of butter. Mm-hmm. So you have the fat, and you've got the flour, one, and, one, you've, one. and you've got the liquid. It's the one, one, one formula. Yeah, one cup to one tablespoon of flour, one tablespoon of butter. Now, what I like to do, I mix the flour and butter together to form a roux. A roux, uh-huh. So when you form the roux, now the beauty, the beauty of the roux is that the flour is already dispersed in the butter. So if you throw in a pinch of roux into the hot liquid, you don't get a lump. Whereas if you put in the straight flour, you get the lump. You got to work the lumps up. That's very interesting. So, uh, so what you do is you add your flour and your butter, heat it up, and then if you got to thicken it a little bit more, if you've got the roux made, throw a little more roux in. You can throw in a pinch of roux, and you don't get the lump. But if you throw in straight flour, you will get lumps. That is amazing. Get, so you know that's really the trick of not having gravy in your uh, lumps in your gravy, yeah, which want, is always a key element. Gravy my lumps either. Gravy has a no, tendency no, no. to create lumps. Almost, almost everything in culinary has some science with it. If yes. you, if, if, like, if you take uh, there are different kinds of uh, wheat. If you take, say, the protein, if the more protein you have, the tougher the bread is. For instance, if you're making bread, and uh, like if you take uh, hard wheat, which is about eight percent protein, and you add uh, you add um, something to it, mm-hmm. you get. Um, you add water to it to try to make bread, it's very tough. Whereas you want to take make a cake, you use soft wheat, which has less protein. So the amount of protein in the flour determines on how tough the bread is. It's just another little bit piece of food. But the tougher the bread doesn't doesn't have more fiber and it's better for you? Well, you know, you, you want pasta. I mean, if you want to, you want, t- you want pasta to be a little bit tougher. Yes. So you use durum wheat, and that might be around 13%, uh-huh. uh, flour. And then in case of bread, you want that, uh, you want that about, uh, 10% flour. If you want to make a cake, you want cake soft, so you want that around 6% flour. Gotcha. So cake's made with soft flour. Bread is made with hard wheat, and then pasta is made with durum wheat, and they all have different degrees of protein you in them. You ever had a tough cake before? Uh, you could make, if you make with, if you use bread flour, you could get a tough cake. Now, most cooks don't want to have bread flour and cake flour, so they mix hard wheat and soft wheat together and make all purpose flour. Uh-huh. It's not really a great cake flour, and it's not, not really, really a great, great bread, bread, bread flour, <laughs> but it's, but it's okay for either it one. We'll work for both. So, I'm pretty much a, we're, we're pretty much a single flour household. Over the years, we covered food science for every season. Now, it's summertime, and it's time to do barbecuing. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, so whenever I have something at, uh, to, uh, you know, barbecue at the house, uh, you know, I've got the steaks there, and I've got the, uh, the hamburgers. So somebody says, well, I want mine medium rare. And somebody else says, well, I want mine medium well. Mm-hmm. Somebody else says, I want mine rare. And so I've got 20 different steaks and 20 different orders. It becomes overwhelming. You feel like you're working at Ponderosa. I know. So, you know, the last time we had it, because you can really calculate how long a steak should cook, because, you know, because there's basically thermal conduction going through the steak. So I could, and I could treat it as a one-dimensional thermal diffusion problem, plug it into the differential equation. I could do a calculation based on the thermal conductivity of the meat, and I could compute exactly how long to cook each of these pieces. But by then, everybody's gone off to Ruth's Chris or wherever exactly. you get the steak. Well, last, just time, last time I brought out my laptop and I started solving the thermal diffusion equation, uh, Marianne told me, you know, just put away my laptop and throw the steaks on. They mm-hmm. really didn't appreciate it. Well, it turns out 
for the nerd in all of us, there's a grilling calculator. Unbelievable. And it does it for you. And so what you do, you click on the cookout calculator tab. And what you do is you put in the type of meat, whether it's beef or chicken or steak, because all of those cook at a different rate because they're different uh, thermal conductivities, of course. And then you put in the the cut of the meat, the thickness of the meat, and the degree of doneness. And then you plug in the, uh, the, the temperature of your grill. Whether it's a, you know, how many, the, you, you have to know the temperature of the grilling surface mm-hmm. and whether it's a covered grill or an open grill and whether it's charcoal or gas. So you put in that and I happen to know that what mine is, I've, I've got a gas grill at home and it's covered and I know what the temperature is because there's a little thermometer there. So I just plug that in and what it does and, and I put in uh, various stakes and all and it, creates a cookout timeline. Now, you've got the cookout timeline right in front of you there. I do. And it's like a time chart. Like I said, I want to start cooking at noon, and it tells me what to do at each moment so that everything comes out at the same time. See, when I, when I first heard you talking about, about this, I thought you're going to need 16 different clocks to figure out each cut of meat. But no, yeah. this tells you when to put the, the T-bone on, then when to put the sirloin, and then the hamburger. And it gives you a start time, and then in progress, what to do along the way, when to turn it. And when to turn, when so it's like done. at twelve o'clock, put on one T-bone. At twelve at twelve o four, you turn over a T-bone. At twelve o three, you put on a hamburger. Right. So it's it's a timeline. It's like a project management timeline. So it turns a the flow whole, chart it, for barbecue. It's a flow chart for your barbecue. So all you need to do, you, you you go to the charcoalbob.com, create the flow chart for your barbecue. You've got one you've got one uh, clock, and you just follow that, and it all comes out perfectly. So it looks like here we're to be at your house by twelve noon. That's, I think I can. Swing that. Uh, you can do that. And here's a bit of food science that will come in handy just about three months from now. Frozen a turkey. Yes. Remember last year we talked about the problem that uh, that the white meat you want it, it, it you don't want to cook it as long as it gets dry. It gets dry. Now, and the get, dark meat take, takes longer. And to the cook. dark meat this takes longer over there. Well, uh, Dr. Peter Snyder, Ph.D. from the Hospitality Institute of Technology and Management, Wow, St. Paul, Minnesota. Has a solution to this. Put the turkey in frozen. Hmm. See, now this is now this is really a, just an interesting idea. The FDT food code allows us. In fact, a- FDA has a cooking guideline out on this. Now there are, there's a real uh, advantage to cooking the turkey frozen. First of all, you don't have to thaw it out. Well, there's that. You get up. You get up. Uh, you get up Thanksgiving morning. And say, oh, the turkey. I forgot to thaw out the turkey, and there's there's not time to do it. So. Uh, H, the uh, FDA food code actually has guidelines for cooking a frozen turkey, 12 to 13 pounds. Now, the reason they say this is actually a pretty good thing to do is when you put it in frozen, the legs thaw out first and start cooking right away. But the breast, since it's on the interior, thaws out last, so it naturally cooks less time. Interesting. And so the breast meat can be juicy and the legs can be done. Good. So you're using basically physics to your advantage. Now, what I did... I got out the thermal diffusion. I've got the uh, science of cooking. I've been, uh-huh. I, I've been putting in the, the shape of a turkey, and I've been doing these uh, thermal diffusion equation ca- calculations all week. Uh-huh. And uh, and it's been it's been quite uh, quite quite the effort. And, and and my results have agreed approximately with FDA results. So well, what they good. say is they put the turkey on a shallow pan, and for the first two to two and a half hours, the legs and thighs get heated up to approximately 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but the breast to about uh, one inch is still at the uh, soft ice point of around 25 degrees Fahrenheit. At this point, you can actually stick a monitor in, a temperature monitor into the, 
into the turkey. At about three and a half hours, the legs and thighs will be between 150 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, and the breast will be 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. At that point, you can actually remove the bag of heart, all the the bag of stuff that's in the middle, the heart, the liver, and, and the neck oh, can, can be you removed. Better not forget that. I know somebody who has. At four and a half to five hours, the turkey's nicely cooked. You can check the temperature. The legs and thighs should be at around 175 to 185, and the breast will be a moist 160 to 170. Cooking turkeys to these temperatures is adequate to assure the reduction of bacteria on the surface skin, like salmonella. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason FDA said this is pretty good is that when you thaw a turkey out in the in the refrigerator, that salmonella could cross-contaminate either in your refrigerator or on the cooking surface. Right. So, so you don't have this problem. You don't have to thaw it out. And the uh, and the second reason they said it's good is that it allows you to cook the dark meat uh a little bit longer than the light meat. So, and I'm thinking that just suits me perfectly. I don't have to thaw the turkey, yet, but you, but you have to take the plastic bag yeah. off the turkey. And here's a bit Jim liked to pop open, pardon the pun, at least once a year around the holidays. Bonjour. My name is Sherry. I live in Paris, France and listen to Tech Talk via podcast. So great, we've got an overseas Tech Talk listener. I have a seasonal food science question for you. What makes the bubbles in champagne? How is it that they seem to come out of nowhere? Ah. How is it the bubbles never seem to stop? Why does this work better in a fluted glass rather than any other type of barware? Uh-huh. Obviously, Cherie has been doing she's some been, research. She's been dipping into the booze, I think. <laughs> That's right. Best regards and Happy New Year from your biggest fan across the pond, Sherry. But wait, there's more. I know. You're not going to read that on the air. Okay, no, no, we can't read that on the air. Oh, sure you Okay, by the way, you guys have the sexiest voices of any announcers on Federal News Radio. (laughs) Whoa! Hello! Are you as hot as you sound? Maybe we get an autograph picture. Hey, is Federal News Radio sending out autograph pictures of the Tech Talk boys? Only if we're taking them, I guess. (laughs) Well, Cherie, you know, bubbles in in champagne are an interesting question. Yes, they they are. They actually are dissolved carbon dioxide gas, which is coming out of the liquid. Now, it turns out they start out as strings of bubbles that rise in pairs, and they gradually transition to bubbles in groups of three or so, and then they finally settle down to a pattern of regularly spaced individual bubbles. Now, it turns out that these bubbles arise from nucleation points on the glass wall. Ah, imperfection, See, that's why right? imperfections in the glass wall. That's why the fluted glass tends to be a little bit better because it has more imperfections around those creases. Ah. Now, the nucleation points are small defects in the glass that trap vibrating pockets of carbon dioxide. Dissolved gas in the champagne gradually collect in the vibrating bubbles inside the defect, causing it to grow and soon expel gas from the defect. And so it starts out there, and then you'll see a string of them, and gradually they start coming out. And that's why they just keep going and going and going. That's right. There's a lot of research on, uh, you know, looking at bubbles coming out of dissolved gases because nitrogen bubbles that grow in blood vessels cause the bends. So Mm -hmm. So they want to study a nucleation of this sort of... Dissolved gases coming out of a liquid. But that was an excellent question, Cherie. And, and I'm telling you, I spent a lot of time watching those bubbles. I bet you so did. And so I did a lot of research that over this last New Year's. I spent a little know. bit of time myself doing just the same thing. That's right. And they're still, still looking at bubbles. And so let us raise a toast to a great broadcaster and a wonderful colleague, Jim Russ, who passed away on August 18th. That's it for this special edition of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University. Our usual host, Dr. Richard Schertz, will rejoin us next week when we get together on the radio once again on Saturday morning at 9 on 1500 AM in the Washington area and federalnewsnetwork.com worldwide.
I'm Andrew Mitchell. Thanks for listening. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.